0: Of uh, course, we're making sure our camera is right, because always. the background is always not as leveled as we would like.
1: Well, it's never, we're never. Well, I just don't want it down enough for where my chest is showing. <laughs> That's kind of got God the forbid, thing. Jen. That's
0: now, of course, we're at a, well, I think we're even now. Are we yeah, even? no, we're fine. That now. looks good. Hopefully the microphone sounds Hi, okay. all.
1: Well, Hi, we're going to not be banging on the table, which we have come to realize is part of our clicking problem. But um, welcome, Wednesday night, Generational Change. I'm Jen. I'm Peter. And... Um, we're going to be talking with the serfs, S-E-R-F-S. At least one of them. S-E-R-F-S. At least one of
0: them, so we'll see.
1: And, um, and then we're going to be talking with a candidate that we've had on before.
0: Maud Harizzi.
1: Great people. Muad. Muad. I would say Muad. You kind of say it like it's Maud. Maud. Maudlin? Like a m a u d e is how you sound it, and it's M-U-A-D, Mouad.
0: And the Vanguard boys mentioning us today in a good uh, point about the fact that Tulsi uh wrapping her arms around megan mccain even though megan mccain on the view called her an assad apologist and a traitor and all they say yeah that's it that's what you call a soldier in the in the military. Wait, the
1: vanguard guys brought this up yeah yeah, yeah. the vanguard guys mentioned us
0: yeah because they're usually
1: fight. uh they're usually in the pocket of not us <laughs> well
0: i guess uh, against us i get well no nah, i wouldn't say that i would say that they uh they just like to talk about the gossip stuff. But the truth is, uh,
1: smack you know,
0: it's, it's really unfortunate that, you know, Tulsi Gabbard has really I mean, again, it's like it's one thing if, you know, your principles are really conservative and they just come out and this is what you believe and all that. It's another thing entirely to just completely jump the shark regarding being on the Republican side.
1: Well, except for that. Pre, Like that, that assumes that presumes that she was ever really left in the first place. And so when someone switches like that, yeah, but where's your integrity? Done? Oh, no, no, no. There is no integrity. There's just people using talking points to promote themselves to different demographics. So if being progressive is what's selling at the time, then you can promote yourself that way. But I don't think anybody does that much of a 180. Like, nobody does that much of a 180 in that short of a period of time. Even, just, if that
0: is, even if that's the case, where is your integrity? Like, where is it? How, how could you wrap your arms around? And this is all about the fact that Meghan McCain's book has been a colossal disaster. That's amazing. Hasn't sold. And even our hey, friend, here. even our friend of the show, uh, Sean from uh, the actual Justice Warrior, you know, he's on the conservative side, but he let Megan have it, too. And it was like, you know what you're supposed to do is like buy up a whole bunch of these books and have them get distributed. Uh, they, they say, like, that's what happened with um, with uh, what's his name? Um uh, with like when Ted Cruz or Bill O'Reilly would write a book, like they would buy a whole bunch of extra copies and they would uh, store them in a warehouse and they wouldn't actually be sold. And they would
1: say- uh, Exactly, Chris, that's exactly where I was too. So it's like, well, I don't follow that anymore. You yeah. know, that's exactly right.
0: Well, again, what you have to remember is that drama sells. That's the other thing.
1: Yeah, this is why we were just talking about, um, first of all, it's funny, because Guy, we just mentioned you, you are hands down our best supporter. So we really really appreciate it very much. And
0: since we, and and, and while we're here, since we're gonna Um, gonna jump right into-
1: Yeah, you know, guys, we really could use patrons because funding from YouTube is so suppressed. Like it's, there's no, there's no there there. Declan, you owe us
0: money. You should yeah. definitely be a you should
1: Seriously Declan, fan. at least five dollars a month. You yeah, know how I much mean, entertainment you've gotten from us over the past few months, yeah. you sit here, you comment, we
0: respond. We don't we don't kick you out.
1: I, occasionally <laughs> you get timed out. Don't be mean to my guests, but like, you know, yeah, people throw five bucks a month our way if you can.
0: We'd really appreciate it as low as $5 a month. You can become a patron of our channel. And again, we do not take a salary. Well,
1: there's no money to take a salary. I hate when you say that because no, at some point it would be nice to get paid for what we do. However, right now, all of the money for this podcast goes into our Gen Core, which is a 501c4. And that money goes towards service um local service the occasional uh non-corporate candidate we'll donate to we just donated to a non-partisan um candidate for our school board down here that we like very much sean escobar but for the most part our money goes towards community work whether it's supporting women's reproductive rights whether it's supporting community garden that's where the money from this show goes so um, you know look if the money starts flowing in and we could take a salary we'll 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 readdress that at that time (laughs)
0: Anything you guys can do to help spread the word obviously means a lot. So
1: with that said, Chris, absolutely. Thank you. Absolutely agree. Uh, And we do stay focused on issues. We will engage in a certain amount of banter and nonsense. But at the end of the day, the gist of our shows are long form interviews that are issue based. Correct.
0: 100 percent. And so uh, I definitely agree, Chris. I do think that Tulsi is angling to run uh, for president. But I think ultimately she's looking to be Ron DeSantis's VP. I think that a um,
1: and I got to tell you that's a formidable ticket. Yeah,
0: I just say I, two, two two former or two one former and current service uh, man and woman on uh, the ticket on the G- It's G-O-P- formidable. It's,
1: yeah, and the truth is, as much as I have grown to not like or trust Tulsi, um, she's good at what she does in terms of selling her her. Alex, her Alex, here's
0: a great point, and we will discuss this with the service. Um, you know, all you hear from the Democratic operatives led by the likes of Paul Begala and,
1: you know... He was a bootlicker of ours once. Begala was a bootlicker of ours. So whenever I hear that name, I'm like, bootlicker. Actually, you know
0: what? This will be perfect because our guest has arrived. So we are... Are
1: these guests it, cannabis participants? Oh, they better be. Well, Let's are there, I, they, they're probably not anti-cannabis. No, right? I highly doubt
0: that. But, you know, we... Uh, he looks
1: way too young to be anti-cannabis.
0: Well, we'll find out, sure, soon enough, won't we? Um... Uh, But for those of you who like really good content on YouTube and social media in general, uh, we always like to cross-pollinate, as Jen says. Yeah. And I think this is a great opportunity to continue the conversation (laughs) with other like-minded people or even people we disagree with. But in this case, we are having a guest that is very much on the progressive side of politics. We don't
1: always we don't always do that. Like we do not like to be an echo chamber. Every once in a while, it is fun, but um, we 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 kind of spread it out. I
0: believe this is Lance. I could be wrong. Is it Lance? I, yes. I got,
1: so I got the I
0: got the right one.
2: Lance from the Serfs. Welcome to Generational Change uh it's a pleasure to be here thanks for having me i uh, i am i'm am very pro uh cannabis I, I don't know if you know this though as a canadian i can't actually say on a stream that i've ever tried it uh in my life because when i go to the border and cross it they can check my social media and if they've seen that i've done it once they can refuse me entry to the us so that's a huh. yeah that's it's
0: cool. because it is considered a schedule one narcotic right. in the united well, states we're
1: working on that we're working on that land so you can wear it loud yeah. and proud and come over the border
0: <laughs> um, so, of course, at the perfect place to start Obviously, we saw what happened earlier uh, Joe Manchin, of course, is not going to vote to codify Roe v. Wade <laughs> What was surprise but the one thing that we notice, which is probably not too surprising, is the fact that we don't see Paul Begala or Jennifer Rubin or any of those rubes that are out there, no pun intended, uh, saying, man alive, how, how those terrible, terrible Joe Manchin voters didn't vote for Paula Jean Swearegen when they had the chance. Because Lord knows if she was in the Senate, it would be codified right now. So I guess it only applies to Bernie voters. Is that correct, Lance?
2: Can you tell me what Joe Manchin said today? Because I saw that press conference or something where he was being interviewed, and he's kind of like danced around the subject. But yeah, as he's saying
0: that the there's um, as as a lot of the kicking the can down the road types like to do is they say I'm open to codifying Roe v Wade, but this particular form of what you're the type of uh, the type of proposal you're putting forward goes too far. So that's what he's saying. And Lord knows what the hell that is because there is no description uh, in terms of what that actually means. So in this instance, he's saying, I'm willing to do it, but you haven't given me, you haven't wet my palate enough yet for me to we do have to, it. We have to
1: lure you to agree with the majority <laughs> of the country.
2: Good stuff. I, I don't know, correct me if I'm wrong, him and cinema, they're the two holdouts for abolishing the filibuster as uh, still as of now. Yeah. Uh, the only two?
1: But let's be very clear. No one's trying very hard. Okay, Like, like you you can blame someone for holding out, but if you're not really being on it and fighting for it, that's kind of weak.
2: Yeah, Yeah. Uh, I I mean the my my quick answer would be that like I find Republicans are a lot better at uh, controlling their party. So in the event of you know the Manchinima problem that seems to be a constant theme in the United States right now, uh, I I don't understand why you'll see people like the President Joe Biden go in front of a camera and afterwards be like oh you know but I'm very fond of Kirsten Cinema and all the work she's done. Like you would see Republicans hounding anyone who stepped out of line uh, of the party, especially if they were the two holdout votes that they were looking for on a regular basis and you know I, I don't want to bring up like you know they're, they're better with uh, the whip or anything like that but at the end of the day it's it's pretty telling that you don't have a majority of uh, Democrats coming out in front of a camera and being like this person is an obstructionist they're they're holding back you know very important legislation time and time again whether it was that $15 minimum wage uh, federal increase that was attached to the original Build Back Better bill all the way up to like holding back the the Build Back Better bill and, and getting it repeatedly because of Mansion's deep ties to the oil industry sorry the coal industry don't want to mix this up. Um yeah. yeah, it's 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 utterly absurd. I mean I'll I'll give credit to to people like Sanders who at least would go in front of a camera when he had the opportunity and say, Well, by the way, these are basically right wing Republican Democrats that are holding this back kind of thing. But uh yeah, no, it's 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 an abysmal affair.
1: We think that they're just sort of the allocated, the assigned baddies like that's who it is now. If they weren't there, I assure you, there would be two other people that would be in that position because the reality is that the Democrats over the past, I don't know, four, five presidential administrations um, haven't really been doing anything about this. And I'm talking Mm -hmm. about the past three Democratic administrations, presidential administrations where they've had majorities. And they yeah, so it, did well Obama had a
2: supermajority. So exactly. What's the excuse there? He had that as a campaign promise, if I remember, saying that he was going to codify Roe v. Wade into law. And then all of a sudden, once he assumed power, it's like, well, that's not really a priority for the Democrats right, right now. Right out
1: like, of the box. Yeah. yeah. Right yeah. off. Really <laughs> like, yeah,
2: I mean, it kind well, he of should be
1: majority, and he couldn't even get us a public option. So it's like I think about that, and I think about presidents like Johnson, like mm-hmm. LBJ. Can you imagine there being like a holdout on something he wanted to put through? And he's like, oh, no, those guys, we're so tough, but we can't we can't control a senator. Like, I just they don't want to.
0: It is the rotating villain, as Chris would say, and that is a big problem that we face. Uh, But the thing that also doesn't get talked about, which I think should be talked about, is the fact that you do have two senators in the GOP who every once in a while seem to be agreeable on policy that just makes total sense. And that, of course, is Susan Collins and Lisa Murkowski. And so two of them in particular saying, I did not, under these pretenses, agree that we were going to overturn Roe v. Wade because that's what the three conservative justices said in their confirmation hearings, that we were not going to overturn it. Well, if that's true, then why isn't President Biden, Senator Schumer, Speaker Pelosi, reigning holy hell and saying, Senator Collins, Senator Murkowski, get on board with us right now and let's codify Roe v. Wade. If you really care about this issue, why not even attempt to do it and get McConnell to come out and say, oh, we're not doing any of that. You know, <laughs> at least get him to do that. <laughs> but in this instance, he's not even doing that. I mean, what the hell? I mean, how much more do people have to watch this to say,
1: are they playing a game? Are they playing tricks on us? Well, himself? I am curious about a young Canadian's perspective on, on this nonsense.
2: Uh, I'm I'm not actually that young. I'm in my late thirties, but, uh, I, I, I have been around for a a, a, a bit of time. Um, I'll, I'll, well, I'll say this. I think Susan Collins is kind of busy right now of the terrorist attack that she recently had uh, in front of her sidewalk with that shock. Yeah, absolutely deplorable. I'm glad that she was capable of calling the police to remain safe uh, in her home. Uh, but no, it's like, uh, from an outsider's perspective. Well, I'll tell you this. In Canada, you're going to have a lot of liberal check marks on Twitter, and this was just disgusting to see, who are all going off about how amazing it is that we don't have to deal with this problem in Canada. Canada is this lovely utopia and we'll never have to worry about that. Abortion in this country is just decriminalized, which means that obviously it's not a criminal activity if a doctor wants to provide it for uh, a woman or a trans man or whoever else is seeking it. So that like... At the same time, we have a massive problem with forced sterilization of Indigenous women. There was a lawsuit as recently as 2008, where about, I think, close to 50 to 100 women uh, are suing the federal government for having experienced, uh, you know, uh, forced sterilization. So it's been a massive problem for years in terms of not having reproductive rights for Indigenous people in Canada, for Black people in Canada, you know, people in marginalized communities. Well, at the same time, they like the posture right now that oh, we're so much better than the Americans because we do have uh, complete access to abortion in this country. I mean. All that being said, uh, I, my heart goes out. To uh, you know, Americans, because it's such a, a rock and a hard place. It seems to be this position where it's like, well, you should do the responsible thing, and then you should mitigate the harm by voting for the party that's not actively trying to legislate against women's bodies, absolutely, or actively trying to legislate against the trans community, or trying to look at the genitals of trans kids, or any of that really fucked up shit that Republicans are doing on a regular basis. That is fucked up. That needs to be like, sure, push it off. At well, at the same time, the Democrats are woefully inept at actually putting forth the legislation. Or fighting for it uh you know in the public eye on camera when you have the press when you have the opportunity uh to get something done at which point like i understand why there is a huge uh young voter demographic in the u.s that is so jaded with the political process because what does it look like to them right
1: Yeah. And I I think it's interesting because we talk about it in terms of their failure to codify Roe over the years. But there's another really big factor here, and I harp on it a lot, is the amount of Democrats that approved all of Trump's judicial appointments. And they've been doing this for years. You don't get to sit there and sign off on, you know, very conservative, radical jurists and then act so surprised that this is happening. And the other factor is you have congressional leadership campaigning for anti-choice candidates like Henry Cuellar against that. Right. These are pro they call themselves pro-life. I call them anti-choice. We could call them forced birthers. I don't care. But but it shouldn't be somebody that the leader of the Democratic Party who's claiming to care about this issue is down campaigning for an anti-choice Democrat. What are
2: do you know what Cisneros chances are right now outside of getting Pelosi's endorsement from Quayar or sorry to Quayar? Uh.
1: It's a it's a coin I'm flip not.
0: because he's still under FBI investigation. And, you know, she's going to have uh, she, she's got a lot of money. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, funny, right, right? Um, You know, he's, he, she's got a lot of money. Um, but this race is a very unique race because it really comes down to immigration. That's the issue. And I can tell that because of where the vote splits uh, were during uh, the initial primary. Uh, she cleaned up in San Antonio, but he cleaned up on all the border counties. So it's a very distinct race. And depending on. How hard she's going to lean into that issue in a red wave year is probably going to determine whether or not she's able to get over the finish line. I think she's got a puncher's chance of doing it. I think also the fact that a lot of people are I mean, I think they're doing a pretty good job of drawing attention to the race because of how hypocritical the party apparatus really is. But at the end of the day, it's got nothing to do with being. Uh, you know, pro-choice or being anti-choice. It has everything to do with whether or not you are bought and paid for by corporate special interests. And Cuellar is, Jessica Cisneros isn't, and that is where it ends. And the more we talk about that, is the singular issue of our time in politics, is the sooner we'll get to the realization amongst even, you know, normie voters that, yeah, maybe we shouldn't be supporting candidates that are funded by Raytheon and, you know, Big Pharma and you know, B- big oil and all those companies, because ultimately they are the ones who are determining how our legislative, you know, branch operates on Capitol Hill. And until we get to that point, we're just going to continue spinning our wheels.
2: That's something that I also wanted to ask is that like outside of, cause I've seen progressive people do it, calling out say Nancy Pelosi for supporting this pro-life candidate who uh, I believe is on the record of saying that he still would, wanted to come down to a woman's choice, but he is essentially pro-life as as his own philosophy, right? Like he's a Catholic and then he feels deeply about, uh, you know, the sanctity of life begins at conception and all that weird stuff. Um, so is is there a push beyond progressives to call that out, to be like Nancy Pelosi? Why are you on one end saying that you actually care deeply and we, you should vote blue no matter who? And we got a fundraise off this issue because the Republicans are coming for reproductive rights while at the same time, I'm simultaneously supporting Cuellar over her um,
1: I mean, we do, and I definitely have heard people that are consistently Um, left and try to be, you know, very consistent on their views have mentioned this, but in terms of like people within the party structure, no one's saying anything. They're all falling in line on this. This they can fall in line on. They can't fall in line on supporting actual, you know, help for people, but this one, they can just fall in line with her. And so no, they don't call her out. And I, it's just gross. Our representative was just having had a rally a pro-choice rally, she loves to grandstand on this because it's an easy one and she could fundraise and and 70% of the country agrees and, you know, no risk. And she'll go out there and grandstand on this, like it's some big thing. But yet I don't see her challenging Nancy Pelosi's support of a pro-life Democrat. I don't see her turning down approving far-right just judges. You know, I just, people don't pay attention in the interim years and then this comes up and they think these people are their champions. They're not your champions.
2: Can you give me some of the examples? I'm just curious. What are some of the Democrats who supported the appointment of Republican uh, judges?
1: All of them. Nancy, and we just put it up. Our our Chris said that he doesn't remember which year it was. But, yeah, there was a year in particular where she fast tracked rubber stands all these uh, all of Trump's judges because they wanted to go on vacation early.
0: Yeah, that was uh, that was in the summer of
2: 2019. So it's whoever would,
1: would follow in line with Pelosi, like whoever would get in line with her. Th- they all signed like this. This was something that nobody paid attention to. It was all under. Yeah, there was an
0: initial movement to try to halt some of the, um, you know, the federal appointed judges in certain states. And ultimately they were like, Nah, we're just going to do it anyway. And, and that's the you know. There's this consensus that, you know, basically the Democrats are paid to lose. You know, they're not really making the effort that is necessary because on the one hand, you know, we think that the best thing that's happened in politics during the Biden administration in terms of the movement was Chris Smalls leaving the effort to uh, unionize Amazon. And and so as a result of that, he has him at the White House while at the same time he's he's, uh, signing new contracts for Amazon. So it's like, you're saying one thing and you're doing something completely different. And this is where people look at the duality that exists within politics. And they're tired of the lip service, as I know know, we are, because we are desperately trying to stave off this, you know, theocratic takeover, if you will, of our electoral system. And and frankly, our, uh, our government as a whole, it's gotten to the point now where there is significant minority rule. And we're staring down the barrel of a gun of uh, President DeSantis or President Trump in two years. I think it's not hyperbolic to say that. And, you know, unless there is a massive non corporate uh, wave of a candidate that can rise up and either challenge Biden or is able to potentially break through in a primary in 24, you know, we really are in a very precarious place right now. And a lot of it is just their doing. And there's so many things that the president could do to mitigate these problems or even, you know, end them all together, he's just not doing anything. And so at some point you have to say, is this deliberate? And I think it is.
2: Is um, what are some of the things Biden could do? I I feel like I'm the one asking you a whole bunch of questions, but, uh, you know, y- y'all right. are really no, tough. We we don't interview, you're
0: you're interviewing, we're interviewing each other. So we're what could, Biden,
1: <laughs> you mean what could Biden be doing by executive order in general?
2: I don't know if he can do anything by executive order as far as what I've read. What What I what I think he could be doing is making this a front and center thing where he co- he comes in front of, like he has unlimited press power. That's what I think Donald Trump oh, yeah. utilized so very well, right? Like he knows that I can get billions of dollars worth of free press anytime. Like he had CNN filming chairs for, for what, like 25 minutes or something because they were waiting for him. So he has the power as the world's most famous, I guess, uh, human right now to be able to say, hey, by the way, I want to talk about an issue. Boom, MSNBC, ABC, CNN, they're all going to listen to a proclamation that he makes. So I think he could go in front of cameras and and start really trying to drive home that this is uh you know the state trying to force uh people to give birth against their will something something of that line or to call out people who are being obstructionist within his own party he could do that too but the democrats don't really do that but outside of that is, is there something he can be doing because i know they're going to be trying to uh, push through uh the women's health and reproductive act again through the house and the senate it won't make it past the senate of course because uh you won't have the more than 50 votes but um is, is there something else he can be doing
1: I mean, I just think overall, it's very clear that this isn't something that he really cares about. In fact, I, I bet you he secretly kind of appreciates all this going on. I don't think he cares. And I and, and we, when we were talking about judges, um, I recall him sitting on Obama's administration and them actually tolerating their appointment, just sitting there and not getting a hearing. And nobody was standing up that I saw and fighting for Merrick Garland to get a hearing. They weren't doing anything. So, you know, there's a lot of things that he could have done up to this point. But now, if he really wanted to fight for this, he is the strongest voice in the country. Like, that is the biggest platform in the country. So I think that is the power. And that's what we always talk about, even with Congress people, isn't what they can necessarily do via policy, but what they can do via public opinion and how we can start, you know, building up momentum for that. But when you're just completely like, I mean, they're so impotent and, and you have to wonder, is it by choice? I mean, I think it is. Um, but, yeah, they don't do anything. They're they're make resistance. They're not even they don't do anything. And
0: as far as what the president has the authority to do, if he chose to, despite what some people say, he does have the authority to cancel student debt. He does have that authority. He has the authority to decriminalize cannabis and uh, effectively expunge all nonviolent drug offender records. Both which uh, would
2: be enormously popular amongst voters, by the way. Yes, like, uh, enormously he, popular. Could have, yeah.
1: he could have declared a national emergency and expanded Medicare to everyone. For that COVID. What, that is, and then they would have to try to take it back, which wouldn't be an easy that thing is to do. Interesting, it is a very
0: interesting caveat that is included in the Social Security Act that not a lot of people know about. But, you know, us
1: so so there's a lot of things. And so when you look at his capability, even regarding just health care and what he could be doing for health care. Well, that would include women's health and that mm-hmm. would include women. Have, because it isn't just a problem even of decriminalizing, like you said. It's decriminalized in Canada. That doesn't mean people have fair and open access and that here that it's affordable. So if, if this was something that they really cared about, which was women's reproductive freedom, then they absolutely could be doing things for health care for women that would be going in another direction. Like you have to sort of attack from every angle. You know, there's all different parts where you could be helping and they're doing none of it. And then
0: the most important one of all that he does have the authority to do is to implement the Defense Production Act. And there are multiple ways that you can utilize that if you wanted to. The most important, of course, is we need to move to a clean energy economy, a clean energy grid, if you will. If you were to employ the Defense Production Act, he could probably build out a reasonable clean energy grid within a two year window. It's not that. You know, it's not that trepidatious wow. to think. You know, if we needed endless solar, I mean, listen. We, being in Florida, you know, we have a lot of protected land. There is endless amount of territory that you could have solar fields, and that would be a huge uh, thing for Florida. Uh, I don't want to get sidetracked, but we have yeah. an energy monopoly in the state. Yeah. That's all of the can of worms. Uh, and DeSantis
1: it, just vetoed the bill that we wanted him to veto, and no one wants to hear when he does something decent. But the only reason,
0: Lance, that this got to his desk is because three Democratic senators teamed up with the state Senate uh, GOP to make sure this got to his desk and gave DeSantis an unnecessary political win. And he's going to run with this when he's yeah. This going was re-election. solar.
1: This was a solar bill that that benefits Floridians and incentivizes solar and they got rid of it because the bill was written by NextEra Energy, and they don't want that. They don't want net metering. They don't want to have to compensate you if you don't use the energy that they're providing. And so they, they went, wanted to take that away. Three Republicans actually didn't sign on, so then three Democrats said, yeah, we'll support that. And then DeSantis vetoed it, which is a good thing. And yet nobody would give him credit for that. Nobody. They actually went out there, the Democrats, saying that the only reason he vetoed it is because they put so much pressure on him. How about like
0: not voting for it in the first First place place, to not give him any political momentum. Like he already has all of the momentum in the world. Why does he need more? So it's, it's so again, you're, you get to the point where you're like, uh, is this deliberate? Because I think it is. And so I think the argument for the progressive movement, and we don't even like calling it that anymore, but the non-corporate populist movement that we're you know, a part of and that we're fighting for is, well, I think it's safe to say if a President Sanders was in the White House, that a lot of these things would have been dealt with, yeah. at least in some capacity, as far as I'm concerned, maybe in a big way.
2: Yeah, I, t- I totally agree with you there. I think like there would have been a large section of the progressive movement that would genuinely at this point hate Sanders because of the things that the president would be doing regardless, uh, like, you know, things related to the military industrial complex, the, the 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 Pentagon budget, things like that. Like, I think Sanders would still be signing off on that. I think that would be too high a thing for him to try to take on. But I think simultaneously, yeah, the things that he could have done through uh, executive order, like you just said, uh, for giving student loan or at least for giving an amount, right? Like it uh, wasn't $10,000 one. Being thrown around during the election, you know, which seems like an impossibility now, but the the one related to uh, pardoning all nonviolent drug offenders that would have incredible ripple effects and, and yeah. be something that would be so substantial, especially to marginalized communities, and is something that is shown to be. Popular. Like, I think that's like sometimes the left, and I mean this globally, has to pick battles that are going to be popular uh, for everybody that are winnable. And one of them is ending the drug war. Like, it's something that most people have kind of come to their own understanding, unless they're like, you know, very Puritan Christian, that this will have a net benefit to society, that we need to stop criminalizing people's personal behavior and consumption because it's leading to the worst possible outcomes. We have more dangerous drugs on the streets than ever before. It directly uh, helps benefit, uh, you know, crime families, crime bosses all that kind of stuff. So this is something that I think a lot of people could get behind.
1: Yeah, that and there are 2,700 people currently incarcerated in federal facilities that would actually be set free and their whole families and lives would be changed directly if Joe Biden were to, um, you know, release them. And and that's just federal. Obviously, he can't do that for states. But 2,700 people is a lot. That's a lot mm. of people whose lives have been ruined that are incarcerated for nonviolent drug offenses. So, um, yeah, I think that's massive. And he just sits there and does nothing. Like, this is why it's hard when he says something like, oh, it's Joe Manchin's fault. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, it kind of we all need to do what we can with what we have. And that's what we think. Like, that's what I think about Bernie. He wouldn't necessarily had any more success with um, legislation. But I do think that the first hundred days of a Sanders presidency would have seen a lot of these executive orders that would have directly changed people's lives. That I think. And, and you know, yet here we sit with nothing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And unfortunately, um, the corporate stranglehold that is on our government is really the the order of the day, as you know, alluding to what we discussed earlier. And this is why we don't have the massive change that we need. And this is again, why President Biden doesn't do anything because if he were to do anything, it would go completely in the face of the heavy, you know, money hitters of the party that are completely juxtaposed to anything that is beneficial to workers, the labor movement, And that is the reckoning that I think a lot of people have to have regarding politics is you can't be, you know, pro-corporate power and pro-labor power at the same time. The two things just don't coincide. And so I believe that the the greatest opportunity that we have as a movement can really be behind labor. Although right now, after what we just went
2: through, because we actually went to Cleveland to support Nina Turner. And oh, wow. Nice. I was, I was doing everything I could from Canada actually for that campaign.
1: Yeah. No, I mean, we went for the last weekend to canvas for get out the vote. Um, nice. and yeah, yeah.
2: But
0: unfortunately, uh, she got thrown under the bus in more ways than one. And it really speaks to just how discombobulated, uh, the left is. And, you know, we may not have the biggest channel, but Part of the reason I think we don't is because we don't get mired down in the constant mudslinging that goes on back and forth with a lot of these channels. Is constant <laughs> constant You just got on someone who always does. I'll give you credit. Somebody's got to do the dirty work. But,
1: uh, <laughs> we call people out when we think it's particularly relevant. But for the most part, we focus on issues, policies, experts, authors. Like for the most part, that's what our format is. I would just say,
2: you you do real work is what you're saying. (laughs) You're not a dumpster fire like the rest of us.
1: (laughs) No, and here's the thing, because, and I have a journalism background, but I do not refer to myself as a journalist now, but as, what my background is dictates that I know to bring on the people that do know. Yeah. So, we don't necessarily, like, we'll bring on Jordan Cheriton or we'll bring on people that are experts and that are... Fellow Canadian David Dole. Fellow Canadian David Dole. But, like, just people that we know are really in tune. So we're not, like, I'm not making any claims. I'm bringing on different people who actually have information. So I, I feel like I'm more of a journalist curator. <laughs>
0: but, we to, but we try to make it fun. And and I, I would just say that within the confines of the movement, and this is where you were absolutely correct, Nina Turner is like, there's nothing to think about there. Like that's right. a, that is as clear as day, support her, She absolutely is as good a voice as you're ever going to find in politics, much less the movement.
1: In electoral politics, there's no one like her.
0: Yeah. She's one of a kind. Um, And listen, I have no doubt that there were mistakes made on her campaign for sure. But the fact that she really was left at the altar and no one and I mean no one gave up more to support Bernie Sanders than she did. I mean, she was somebody who the Clintons and the Democratic establishment saw as, you know, somebody who was eventually going to become, you know, maybe a senator in Ohio and that type of thing. But she recognized what was more important. And for that, loyalty almost, especially in American politics, it it really doesn't exist. It's, it's, uh, or as, as you like to say, loyalty for hire. It's It's
1: well, yeah, you can't. And, and we're, we're writing a book about this kind of stuff now, actually. And we're referencing, (laughs) we're going to reference campaign things where we think that things went wrong. Um, and there's definitely some loyalty confusion on the left in a lot of different directions that's causing a lot of losses. I mean,
0: I saw Nina, Break her back for so many candidates go to where they they th- their district is to help them campaign and get out the vote and the work that she did on the stump, which was so amazing. And then where were they? And, and you know, it's what? almost
3: like we get to Cleveland and we're like, how no are we the was only there. people here? Like,
0: how yeah. is this
2: possible? Yeah. I also I didn't understand at all why did the Justice Democrats come out with that weird excuse after the fact, like after the election, where they were all like, "Well, you know, we're seeing a lot of like uh, big money being funneled from uh, pro-Israeli groups, and uh, we have to pick and choose our battles," and blah blah. blah. And in my head, I was like. OK, an endorsement. First off, all it is, is it, it could be as little as a tweet. You could just put out one tweet and be like, I endorse Tina Turner. That that would be it. You don't have to campaign. You don't have to give up funds. I mean, if you want to awesome. if you want to put in the time, great. But I don't understand why all of a sudden it was like post uh, the, the event is like, ah, well, we didn't have a choice. We had to do this in order to protect ourselves. And I was like, that seemed very off to me.
1: It's It's cowardly. And it's spineless. Yeah. And the reason that I can say that is there was somebody who did endorse Nina Turner right from the get go. And it is someone who is part of the leadership of the Congressional Progressive Caucus. And she actually, Katie Porter, endorsed Nina before the Progressive Caucus ever even mentioned Chantel Brown. So there are people that are willing to put themselves out there for what is right. And Bernie. Like- well, yeah, Bernie, but I'm just talking to We were talking about like squad people um, and Bernie did come out and endorse Nina. It wasn't like he didn't pay attention to it, but um, there was n- like, when I'm in the campaign office and people want to take selfies with me and I'm sort of the most known person that's there for Nina Turner. That's not a good sign. People, not a good sign. And that's how it was. I mean, while we were there, what Keith Ellison came, I think Cornell West, Cornell West, but I, Cornell West to me is sort of outside of, He's non-political. I mean, he is. he's involved. The but. biggest,
0: and, and you know, and, and this is something that you do on your show, which is very good and very important. Um, you call out the hypocrisy of the cloud chasers led by you-know-who. Uh, he wasn't there. You know, well, no, he wasn't, but he was like, uh, and but, you know, he was trolling the hell out of Nina. And it's like, how could you troll Nina? And if that's not enough.
2: Weeks goodbye. before the election.
0: Yeah, of course. Of course. Saying uh, goodbye, somebody. I mean... It, you have to be the lowest form of low to really just like go after somebody like that. But what, in my opinion, made it even worse from the standpoint of justifiably going after AOC. And there are times where going after her makes absolute sense. Oh, 100%. If, you're, if you're going to endorse Nina Turner. Not only should you not endorse her at the 11 o'clock hour where you have no opportunity to circle the wagons and really get people out there. She couldn't even be bothered to make one social media post about it. She sent out one fundraising email. She wouldn't post it on Instagram. Nina had to basically do it all on her own and couldn't do it on Twitter either. And you're talking about millions and millions of people. Now, in hindsight, how much of a difference it ultimately would have made? I can't really say. But I know this. If you have the amount of people in your arsenal that AOC has, which if we're talking about, look, she's got 13 million followers and all that. But how many like super followers, maybe half a million, maybe something in that range. You're telling me that if she was really encouraging people to get involved in the race, that you couldn't have had an additional thousand to fifteen hundred phone and text bankers on the the campaign. You could have potentially had maybe. 50 to 100 people who might have made the trip to Cleveland.
1: To That's exactly why they don't let her endorse. That's exactly why they, she doesn't do that.
2: So to me, that I mean there was still more than a lot of the other people in what the squad or the Justice Democrats. I mean, she was one of the only people the day before who even endorsed. That's that's I was like, I was flabbergasted by that. I, I was I was wondering to myself, what's the difference between this run and the last run? Because I felt with the last run, there was a push, there was a bigger push. And this one, it was basically, you know, there was a handful of politicians. Uh, TYT to their credit did a huge push uh for Nina Turner. I think Jenks spent like twenty five thousand dollars or so money. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. Um but- I think the difference is that now they have an incumbent. And that incumbent, while she's only been there for half a second, went out and joined the Congressional Progressive Caucus. So now they'd be now they're working against somebody that's one of them. So in the in the special election, they didn't have that. Um and, and so I think that's a big part of it now. And they they actually see the corporate side sees Chantel as an ally because she is.
0: Right? Mm-hmm. You can say that again. And she's, again. she's corporate <laughs> whore. No, but, but you know what? There is there there is no there there as you like to say. Yeah. You know she's there. not. Uh, she already has multiple ethics violations. She's still the chair of the Cuyahoga County Democratic Party, which is a clear violation of the bylaws. Yeah, we know laws don't actually apply no. when it comes to corporate power. <laughs> uh, but she also was somebody who didn't even have a ground game. There was nothing there. And how great Nina's ground game was, it's hard to say because we were there and it left a lot to be desired. But you know what? When everyone pulls back, when everyone leaves her in the dust, it's like, what the hell, man? Any time that I was ever at a Bernie rally or any political rally that Nina was there... There was no one I looked more forward to hearing than her.
1: Oh, she's the best. No,
2: she's you so know. captivating. Yeah, I, I managed to interview her the Sunday before the election. And it was only, I was one of those things where like, you, you get 25 minutes because obviously she's got to go onto this show and then go into that show and all this kind of stuff. But those 25 minutes, I was just like, what a speaker, you know, what what an incredible speaker. You have a way with words and you can make almost every end of your sentence sound inspiring. Like I, that, that's certainly like, that's a gift. Um, and Yeah. Well, I was, was going to say it was it was heartbreaking, except for, of course, her concession speech, which is one of the best concession speeches I've ever heard. How are you inspiring in your concession speech? You're <laughs> you're you're getting me fired up. And I've never had that before. I'm watching concession speech. I'm like, oh, I'm inspired now. This is wild. You know?
1: Yeah. Um, yeah. Actually, we are going to be we are working on starting a super PAC. It's going to be the anti-corporate PAC. And we're going to be I'm, I'm just responding to one of the comments. Yeah, yeah, and goodness. our goal Is going to be that for non-corporate people that are fighting against corporate interests to the extent like that nina was we're going to be like batman and we're going to come in and we're going to run our own campaign for that person super PACs don't work with a campaign campaign doesn't take money from us we're running our whole own show that could be a completely non-corporate candidate we can do whatever we want with that money and we will be very transparent where our money comes from to the t so i have no problem but you know what we're calling it fighting fire with fire. We're going to be the anti-corporate pack. and and you know what? I I can live with that because at the end of the day, and I I you you know you say, that I'll know where my money's coming from, and I'll share where my money's coming from, and it will be morally acceptable to me. And really, that's all that matters.
0: And the big difference you have to remember is, uh, and again, what Nina says is, uh, just because you're uh, what is it? You're on. Uh, The progressive side means you don't take a vow of uh, poverty. Nina always says
1: the progressive doesn't mean you've taken a vow of poverty. I just people are suspect, rightfully so, of PACs and because super PACs don't have to disclose and they don't have to share where their money comes from. But what if we did? What if we did? We can. They choose not to because they take it from filthy people.
0: You said time and again, let you have five minutes of room. Oh, I'd love to
1: have. Yeah. (laughs)
0: five minutes minutes in a room alone with mark cuban
1: there are certain people that i know um that are just would be willing to contribute to this and our goal would be basically to counteract all the special interests so if the democratic pact for israel wants to be putting millions of dollars i want to be able to combat that i want to be able to go you know so it's somebody needs to fight fire with fire that's that's just where I'm at now. The
0: problem is, is that a lot of times these packs get started and then they end up becoming cash cows for people. And that's and and that and again, that probably more than any other reason is, uh, and again, not going to mention any names or any campaigns, but uh, the grifting is really bad in progressive circles. Candidates who are progressive get taken advantage of. They get grifted horrifically bad. Yeah. But if there's one thing that I think we have, that we've established since we've been involved in politics since 2019 is that what you see is what you get we're not doing this for money we're doing this because we give a damn and it would be so much easier to just go that route and say yeah we're doing this because it's all about you know the money
1: yeah well i will take billionaire money if billionaires well, want to put their money behind non-corporate yes. candidates yay
2: what what about super PACs makes them uh, so lucrative if you were like if the two of you made a super PAC, but you were obviously transparent and you were saying out loud, this thing is called fight fire with fire. We're going to use this exclusively to promote uh, like uh, progressive politicians and stuff like that. What why would a I don't know, uh, a, a billionaire ever want to put money into that? Like how, how does
1: how does that how, work?
2: Yeah.
0: Jen is convinced she has superpowers I'm convinced I have
1: superpowers No, because we have seen that there are people There are people with money We had Joe Sandberg on our show He is somebody that has a lot of money And that's the kind of thing that he would get behind So we've we've seen That there are very wealthy people that support the idea of, you know, democracy and like people to be able to be represented. So it's not as many, it's not like, you know, Jeff Bezos is gonna be like contributing in any way, but there's enough wealthy people that actually still support democracy. I've met them over the past few years. So it it really, yeah, Mark Cuban would be a good one, but there, there really are people that see it as that the takeover of the system in general is a net negative so it isn't necessarily that they would agree with me on everything but if they agree with that corporations shouldn't be buying our politicians and they're willing to put their money behind people that will work for their constituents then yes i will take their money and it's it's bizarre to me that people aren't grasping this concept I guess it's they're so jaded. They don't trust that somebody would actually do that.
0: No, because unfortunately, and Lance, you brought it up. It's true. Uh, Justice Democrats did start out as an organization that seemed to really be on the right path, Go but ahead. they have completely lost their way. And that is uh, emblematic of the fact that there are way too many people who do get into this with financial aspirations. Not that you shouldn't be able to make a living, but ultimately, there are people that will start a PAC and they'll end up giving themselves like, you know 25 30,000 a month salaries. So that's a that that that's where the real problem lies in many ways. And if they're not actually working on behalf of the candidates that are not taking corporate special interest money. You know again, you could be a very wealthy person, but your interests are not with that of let's say Amazon or mm-hmm. with Walmart yeah. or with Raytheon or Boeing or Lockheed Martin, you know that, to me, is what uh, it's about. Stop. Don't, don't even bother. So
1: frustrating.
0: Don't bother. There's always going to be people who you can't agree with. Lance, could uh, you please tell Jen that there's going to be plenty of trolls anytime uh, <laughs> so
2: Well, I was, I was actually going to bring up that someone in your chat said, fight fire with water. And I guess that's uh, that, yeah. that is true.
1: <laughs> uh, well, that's true, too. But the point is, is what we've been doing isn't working. And unfortunately, most people can't raise enough small dollar donations to actually fight the, the corporate interest. Bernie did it. And there were certain people, Alex did it, but it's definitely the outlier. There's so, also
0: something to be said for certain candidates who are running for office and don't exactly have, there's almost like an it factor that people have to feel when they are getting the support of a candidate. And I gotta be honest, I don't 100% agree with the idea of a super PAC. I don't, I'm, I'm just telling where I stand. And I think that there is also I a
2: million well, I was I was just gonna say if people like uh you know you're saying are willing to put in vast amounts of money into something that they believe in politically and the only thing holding them back is the existence of a super PAC that they could trust in, then I don't see why you wouldn't. If that is actually I didn't even know that was something that would be on the table. I assumed most super PACs and giant donors come again from in America, at least large corporate donors and either corporations or something to that effect.
0: Well, I do think that again, um People are also recognizing that the system is kind of uh, cratering in a lot of ways at this point, and that's a huge problem. So when workers can't make enough to live, like how much more how much worse do you think it can possibly get before people really start? doing things that are much more irrational. Like everyone is up in arms right now that you have citizens going to the house of a Supreme court justice and telling him not to overturn Roe V wing. And they're literally acting like it's the end of the world.
2: Like something. Peacefully. Terrible. Peacefully. We should add.
0: <laughs> yeah. Peacefully. But uh, what if it isn't peacefully? Like, do you know, do, do people not understand mm-hmm. that you can only push people so far for so long before they're like, ah, the hell with it. I got nothing to lose anymore. You know, that's, mm-hmm. that's where we're heading right now. And our, Elected officials, our government doesn't want to do anything to help us, nothing. Like for us, you know, we're like on an island and and people are wondering, you know, why would we suggest doing something like this? Ultimately, it's because what else is there? And there's also a lot of people who end up running for office that can't garner enough support. They can't, they don't have that it factor, as I was saying, and their ability to raise money just isn't there. But maybe it would be more effective if they, you know, we, we neglect, especially on the left, especially in this country, we totally neglect down ballot uh, non, non-partisan races. Uh, school
2: board city council county commission small small local politics that is exactly what people need to focus on more it genuinely will impact your lives in ways that like the much more sexy you know presidential elections uh will not because that's actually what's going to happen in your like municipal elections especially i've I've had a problem my whole life in politics uh trying to get people invested in local politics because obviously it's something that everyone's like well i I don't know who my comptroller is i don't care you know i I don't know who my school board trustee is it's not important to me be well it should be because in a lot of ways you probably don't know this but they will actually impact your day-to-day lives in a variety of different like methods in, in the in ways that you can't assume until you've seen it happen and i've seen fantastic changes happen in local elections where you know very far left candidates you can even look to in the u.s like shama Sawant, right? Shama Sawant. independent Yes, socialist. Look who brought in the $15 minimum wage. Look who brought in rent freezing. Look who uh, was apparently such a big danger to people's lives in the real estate industry that they had a recall election for her to try and get her ousted. But there you have an actual leftist, a self-proclaimed socialist who is running in politics and making real tangible changes to people's material lives.
1: Yeah, I agree. We talk about local politics all the time here.
2: And get, a, get a little bit more Shamus wants is what I'm saying. You need, you need well, like yeah. ten thousand of them all across America.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, and you know that's something that we we would you know like to be helping more people doing, um, but unfortunately, people just get so focused on the big name races, and they get very focused. I mean, most people don't even know when their municipal elections are. We can barely get voter participation in general elections, um, and so it's it's really um, it's unfortunate. And everyone just wants to they just want to vote for president. That's a
0: really good point, Chris. You know, one of the other problems that we really have is there are really good candidates that could probably run very strong populist races in red states and don't take any corporate special interest money. And they don't get any money because, again, uh, you know, we have a huge problem with how the. You know, the party apparatus is funded, especially the DNC and the DCCC. So people are looking for alternatives. And while I understand people's desire to look at something like the People's Party or the Green Party, the Libertarian Party, whatever, uh, just know that it is very difficult to do this because there's opportunism everywhere and people fall for it constantly. Uh, we saw what happened with the People's Party recently. We have been very
2: adamant about.
1: Not a fan. Uh, Lance, not a uh, No,
2: no, for, for a variety of reasons and not not even the corruption or the scandals. But yeah, uh, the, I, I don't know that like I'm not opposed to the idea of running independence or the idea of running uh, third party candidates. If they are capable and viable of winning in, a, in an election, then obviously, like, you know, Shamus Want is an independent, for example. That's, yes. that's uh, a good example of that, uh, you know, running and working. But overall, if you're like, well, I'm going to create a tangible alternative to the Democratic and the Republican Party that's going to win the presidency. Unfortunately, no, you're not. But like that, that is a pipe dream. It, you live in a duopoly; you have to accept that. So, you need to be able to get someone like Bernie Sanders, for example, who's going to be able to get to that level and and galvanize enough people to actually almost get him into uh, the presidency.
0: But it seems like right now the movement is kind of uh, completely discombobulated. Is that a fair assessment?
2: uh i would say that's a fair assessment uh i would say that's a fair assessment not just in america but globally because i follow a lot of global politics and leftist movements in a lot of places are disjointed um i think america has kind of been uh fractured ever since uh 2016 and then it got even more fractured with force the vote which uh you know unfortunately drove more wedges between all the the different uh what you could call leftist or progressive players and now everyone is kind of finding themselves in all these strange bizarre new camps um What I think, uh, and personally for me, uh, what inspires me in terms of American leftist movement is there is still a growing push for unionization. So the fact that we see over what, 50 Starbucks unionizing, and we got one in Canada too, that is unionized as well. Uh, Canada also in Ontario, 15,000 carpenters have just walked off the jobs uh, to start striking and unionizing. Uh, We have seen the first Amazon union ever, something that everyone said would be impossible years ago, that has happened, that has taken place. That That is to me in terms of like, workers movement something that is actually looks to be catching fire and something that people should run on and if you are a politician you should be backing it it should be something forefront saying that workers rights are people's rights these are important things we need to be fighting for that that is what in terms of the U.S. Uh, I find very inspiring right now because the Starbucks unions boy they're just popping up it's becoming such a thing that Howard Schultz is having to do like zoom conferences where he's like I will promise to give every non-unionized worker $15 an hour all of a sudden out of nowhere like okay well that shows you the power that these unions have for the first time the CEO of the company is coming out saying to people I'm gonna raise I'm gonna give you what you wanted before are you talking about a a livable wage are you talking about more rights are you talking about like better working conditions okay you have it just don't join a union whatever you do don't join a union but I'll, I'll give you everything you want well doesn't that show you the power of unions and unionization and what it's doing to someone that powerful who again the vast majority of Starbucks are not unionized 50 is a huge number but it's not the vast majority but that alone is enough to scare the shit out of him that to me is inspiring that to me is like holy hell this is awesome. You can see it right in their eyes when they do these zoom calls and they, they they just fumble all over each other. And so that's something that I think a lot of people need to be pushing towards because it's it's addictive. Like the younger generation they are very lefty. The tiktokers they are very lefty, right? And and all of them they get inspired by this shit. So you will see oh, I don't know if I can swear, sorry. But you yeah, you will awesome. see them drop an f bombs way earlier buddy. Okay, okay, sorry. <laughs> I, I never know sometimes I go on shows and I'm like, "Oh, no, please." It's okay, we're good. <laughs> but yeah, that's that's that that's what I see and that that stuff is it's addictive. It, it, it's inspiring. It makes more people want to talk about it, and it makes more people talk about it in the workplace. Like I have normies who are friends of mine who have suddenly started saying, "Like I never thought about this," but I'm talking to my coworkers about like our workers' rights, and and they had never thought about it either. And now we're talking about it in the workplace. That's important. And pe- like people never used to. It was a big taboo post Reagan, post Thatcher, all this stuff to be able to have these kind of talks and discussions. It was like, oh, you don't mention your salary, you don't mention your overtime. Like we, we leave that stuff alone. No, that is important. What you should be doing right now. is is worker power you should be galvanized and you should be getting solidarity in that respect so that would be that, that would be both my yes things are very fractured but also there's there's inspiration and hope in that arena
0: you know yeah. you know the the big difference between uh howard schultz and jeff bezos is uh jeff bezos does to keep his mouth shut
1: yeah. every
0: time <laughs> howard schultz other forms in starbucks it's <laughs> glorious <Yes>. uh, <laughs>
1: tommy nothing in the universe makes me change my position on medicare for all that's not what we're talking about here. Yeah. That's not happening. And I, I wouldn't support can, the candidates that we support are candidates that are non-corporate. And also there's other factors. I mean, but no, I am not changing my position on that. There's no money in the world that's going to make me change my position on that. But what we're talking about is electing non-corporate people. And we're not, it's. that's really our baseline. If you're representing your constituents, whether they're conservative or progressive, then you're doing your job. And if you're not backed by corporations, then you have to be doing that or you can't keep getting elected. You either have
0: a principal position about how this is done or you don't. The second it isn't done and then that's the end. And so- so I think as long as it stays that way, uh, yeah, that's that's uh-huh. what it is. You make your pitch. If people want to be involved, great. If they don't, then they don't. Uh, our interest is strictly on taking down the corporate stranglehold on our yeah. government, and that's it. So mm-hmm. with that said, I agree with you 100%. The movement really is going to come down to whether or not we can cultivate enough people through labor. I think, again, as we talked about from the beginning, what chris smalls did is it's it's no pun intended generational in in many ways uh that is the that is the way forward and i think the more people really hone that message that the environmental movement and the labor movement together is really the future of what we're going to be able to accomplish electoral politics is still important but it's not the end-all be-all
2: while there are. Well, I was going to say that's usually what I try to impart the most on my show as well, is that like, yes, it, if you find a candidate, again, that is inspiring to you, that is like an actual, like they're a full-blooded like socialist or something, they're going to be putting in all these kind of changes, you want to spend your time, money, and effort to back them, which is like I did in the last Canadian election cycle for a lot of Indigenous candidates, then do that. Get out there and do that. But also there are so many other facets, like the day Bernie Sanders got elected as president, that should not have been the end of activism, especially lefty activism, right? Like there's uh-huh. still, you have to push for worker cooperatives you have to push for unionization you have to push for people doing you know mutual aid uh you know building the community uh fridges to, to help people who don't have food security all that kind of stuff like there and direct action obviously right now of, of all times getting out on the streets to, to fight for reproductive rights things like that. that 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 it has to be one of the many you know tools on the batman tool set that that you use
1: yeah i, I first i have to i have to ask you where in canada are you
2: uh vancouver right besides seattle
1: Oh, yeah. My, my mother-in-law lives there, which is why we don't ever go there. Um, but I actually do. Love it there. I, no, let me tell you, I actually really like it there. And in fact, I won't even go to Seattle until after they're no longer with us because it's just too close. But oh, you're so morbid. I, I am morbid. But look, none of us is getting out of here alive. But the other <laughs> issue is, is we're going to need to talk about your dog for a second, because all I, I've been admiring. Is that a he or a she? It's It's a he. Uh, yeah, right. we've been yeah, admiring especially. him. He had a little energy briefly, and now he's apparently sleepy. Um, but yeah. someone in the chat mentioned something about the the pup. So uh, that's
2: that's little Chico. He's like coiled up like a croissant right now. But uh, yeah, he's uh, adopted from Mexico.
1: Oh. oh, but he's not little.
2: Uh, I mean, he's little. He's like fifty five pounds. He's a that's, small not, that's not that's
0: <laughs> not little. Oh, <laughs> really. well i
2: I don't know i'm used to like people who say they have big dogs of having like big dogs like saint bernards or those those kind like the giant ones
1: okay my Um, dog
2: 14 pounds oh okay so that's that's little (laughs) yeah that's that's hand size yeah that's that's a pocket (laughs) size dog
3: um
2: yeah no he's uh he's great i mean like any adopted dog they have a lot of um uh, abandonment issues. So I'm just, yeah. uh, I'll put it out there. If you want to adopt a dog, um, I, I would say maybe uh, have some experience, either like make it your second dog and or just be prepared. This is probably going to be a lot of like, you know, they follow you around the house everywhere kind of thing, kind of situation. Um, but it's uh, like, no, I, I love him. He's, he's, he's super cute. Um, no 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 big issues. I don't know what breed he is, though. Uh, American Village Dog is what I'm told, which is the most common breed in the world. It's what, like, 67% of the breeds are. It right? has, and the
1: coloring of a Rhodesian Ridgeback. Um, yes, Ridgeback. Uh, what? Like, I would know that. I would know
2: that. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've heard a lot of people say that. They yeah. they've said, like, uh, Vishla, Ridgeback, uh, uh, a little Chihuahua, just because his ears are enormous and cartoony. <laughs>
1: Um, (laughs) Okay, but but the thought of a a Rhodesian Ridgeback um, having coitus with a chihuahua seems extremely painful to me.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Um, uh, Despite her... her her humor every once in a while. Uh, we hope uh, if Jen ends up uh, somehow running for office again, you'll help promote us. Uh,
2: yes. Oh no, absolutely. I'm, I'm uh, hey, my my door is always open to help uh, lefty politicians trying to get in uh, to any form of office because I I think that is crucial. I I am on board with your strategy uh, as even as an outsider. I mean I I uh, I've, I've canvassed for American politicians because I've wanted them to win. I've canvassed for uh, politicians in Britain, for example, because i wanted them to win. I've um I I'm a, an app because I couldn't donate to Bernie Sanders campaign so we made a little app called Bernie Sanders to try and fundraise money that way uh, outside but like I, I, I think leftism is an international movement uh, I'm really on yeah. board with Michael Brooks uh, analysis of that and I want people in America to have oh I want people in America to have that stuff because I think everyone collectively will live better you are the superpower hegemonic uh, you know, controller of the planet right now so it is better if there is a stronger leftist movement in America and there is better uh, like a quality of life for Americans. And I, I, I say that uh, as, as a Canadian because I, I want that to happen globally kind of thing. So, I and, mean, if you're about-
0: and, and if we could replace Debbie Wasserman Schultz with this lady, I, I would think that would, be a, that would be an upgrade of massive upgrades if there ever was. So before you go, uh, what is Chico's Instagram so everybody
2: knows if they're not already following? Oh my God, Chico does have an Instagram. I think it's will work for food. Let me find out. <laughs> I like that. Will work for food. Will work for food underscore or maybe double underscore. Let me check. Um, uh, My partner is going to be so upset. upset. She's like, you had a chance to plug his Instagram and you didn't?
1: How long have you had Chico?
2: I've had Chico for just about a year now. So it's
1: fairly new. He's fairly new there.
2: Yeah, he, he's fairly new. Um, I've, I've had other dogs in my life. Like I grew up with dogs as a kid, but this is the first time I had a, a dog where he was like, when he went outside, he would be so reactive. And for non-dog owners, that just means he barks at everybody. And yeah. naturally, your your instinct is to say, like, uh, you, you want to scold him, right? You're like, oh, stop it, you know, like blah, blah, blah. But they're actually doing that for uh, out of fear. Um, so that's, that's something I learned is that he's actually scared. That's why he's doing what he's doing. Uh, it's will work for snacks, underscore, underscore. Will work War, for snacks. Yeah. It's will work for snacks. Will work for snacks, underscore. There you go. If you want to follow Chico's many exploits, it's will work for snacks, underscore. That's the Instagram handle.
1: In charge, have if you want
0: to wanna, follow A very cute pooch. Uh, This is definitely something you should do. Lance, we really appreciate it. Appreciate all the work that you do. Again, it is very necessary. Even if we can't have unity, let's have some solidarity. A lot of these channels, a lot of the things that we're trying to do, if we really made a collective effort to try to work together, especially on most of the issues that we agree on, I think we could get really far a lot of this uh, movement is really kind of, uh, you know, decimated in many ways right now. But we really make a conscious effort to try to have these conversations because we all should be familiar with one another. And it's a lot harder to not like people when you actually know them. I, I think that that's uh, <laughs> that's also something that, that that a lot of people uh, avoid doing. So uh, we're very grateful that you came on. Um, you know, if you ever want to have us on or have another conversation again down the road, let's do it and uh, keep working. Uh,
1: I mean, in all honesty, we do it for, if there's a couple of reasons. One, yeah, we want to promote the show. All right. That's it. And when you bring on someone else who brings their viewers, it's, it's a good move. But really the point is when we get more viewers, that means more people are getting a well-rounded message from all different sources. And I just think that makes them richer, um, in terms of information. So that's why, that's what I think is, and that's like my spider web. I think of it like a spider web. And the more connections we make, the stronger that we are. So that's sort of And um, also
2: the right does that really well, by the way. Dave Rubin oh, wow. will have on Joe Rogan, who will have on so and so, who will have on so and so and so they've cross-pollinated it all together.
1: All right. I want to see his, his face. Let me see his face. I'm ready to see his face. Go on, Chico. Chico. Yeah. Oh, that is not a little dog, okay? By any standard, that is not... he's teeny. (laughs) So, okay, so that's a really interesting dog. So he's got, like, the body of sort of, like, a, a big dog, and he's got the head of more, like, not. Like, I could see Chihuahua even, like great house I, in his face. Like I, he's th- I very- think the
2: camera's adding like some uh illusion of his size. Like if you actually look at the Instagram, he's he's quite he's quite teeny. Like I mean I, I don't I don't cradle him on a daily basis. He's still 55 pounds, but like he's not he's <laughs> not a, a giant dog. He's like, he's, he's kind of like an immortal puppy, I think.
1: He's so cute. Yeah, he is.
0: So good well, brother. and brother. Thank uh, you for coming dogs, on, Lance. Dogs, dogs, we can all agree. Can we all agree that dogs make life better? Oh. I mean, that's yes. we can all agree on. Let's end on that note. Lance of the Surfs, Guys, check out the Surfs If you haven't, at the Surf times on YouTube, great content. You'll laugh. You'll cry. You'll have a good time.
2: <laughs> <Stay> <laughs> around, brother. Thanks so much. Anytime,
1: man. Um man. Yeah. Yeah, I have yet to come across a situation that would not be made better if someone handed me a puppy. Like there is not a situation in the world, really, where if someone gave you a puppy, it wouldn't be better. Like that's like that's just. It's it's a net positive. I would definitely
0: agree with that, but of course uh, we don't have all peaches and cream to talk about. And of course, even though don't make talking conversation about the conversation a lot better. Uh, so unfortunately, we are going to have to continue uh, talking about some not so good stuff. But for those of you who are here, and if you do enjoy our content and enjoy what we've been preaching, please go to patreon.com forward slash generational change. Again, it is for a lot of the things that you guys support, mutual aid efforts, non-corporate candidates, things that we do locally, community yeah. gardens, beach cleanups. We distributed, hygiene, yeah, we
1: distributed hygiene packs on Saturday. We went around and did a run in Fort Lauderdale and distributed hygiene packs to some of the people that were out there.
0: So we're really making a collective effort here uh, to make this uh, much more of a, a, we're trying to inspire, Let's yes. put it that way. We're trying to inspire.
1: transforming politics
0: into service. service. So please hit the like button and share. So of course, as you know, the Democratic Party continues to prove how hypocritical and duplicitous they really are.
1: That's a good word.
0: And if we are going to talk to anybody who really can speak to this, it is somebody who we believe is a very viable candidate for the, for the U.S. Congress, right, and this happens to be Connecticut's first district.
1: And I want to say something about, like, when we have people on, we generally, like, we've had so many people on, and the truth is, like, I do forget people and mix up faces and names, and I forget what districts they're in and whatever, but I will say that if we have someone on again, like, if we bring someone on a second time, that's a sign. Yeah. Like, that's a sign that not only do we like them and want to platform them, because we'll platform anyone non-corporate, but it's someone that we think is viable. I hate using that word, but someone that isn't just, Oh, they're great. And you know, rainbows and unicorns, but somebody that is bubble
0: them up real nice, Jen, Juan Heresi,
3: welcome back to generational change. Hey, how's it going? Jen and Peter. Nice to be good back. To how's everything going? Uh, things have been better, but I'm still very, very uh, optimistic because we have the people and that's what they're afraid of. So uh, I'm, I'm
1: feeling Absolutely. remind us where in Connecticut one is remind us where you are, like what your areas are, urban, rural, what, what are they?
3: Yeah. So our district is centered around Hartford. Uh, It includes about 25 towns in the area but the greater Hartford area is what you should be uh, visualizing on the
2: map.
1: Okay. I've actually been there. Um, That city, when I was there looked like it could use a lot of love. Um, I don't know what it looks like now, but it wasn't some quaint new England thing. I think that, that, that I was imagining when I went there, it was, it was not rough, but it was definitely more of a, midwestern worker vibe than it was of a oh quaint new england vibe
3: yeah so uh, there are many rankings out there but there's rankings that put it as the poorest state capital in the country uh, Hartford, connecticut okay. this is a, a state that has been uh, played with this issue of segregation uh, so even though we're a liberal uh, bastion we still have places in connecticut where there's extreme wealth and they're essentially uh, closed off because of zoning laws. And so uh, we have some of the richest suburbs in the country right outside of Hartford, where uh, millionaires, uh, executives of health insurance companies live. uh, And then the rest of the service class is stuck uh, to live in Hartford, where they're not given the same opportunities and the same resources to succeed. So uh, Hartford, Connecticut is is essentially uh, considered the problem child of the area because nobody wants to invest in it. Nobody wants to allow affordable housing to be built uh, in the rich suburbs. Uh, And so uh, it's unfortunate because uh, Hartford has some of the kindest, uh, most generous people that you'll ever meet, and they're never given a fair shake and a fair chance at uh, the road to prosperity.
0: Sounds very similar to my home state of New Jersey. only difference, of course, is that Connecticut's are much nicer people than New Jerseyans are. So, you know, at least you got that going in your favor. Uh, unfortunately, as we know, um, the Democratic Party is less Democratic than the Republican Party. Please share with the audience what they are attempting to do to you right now, because obviously they don't think very highly of incumbents being challenged, especially ones that have a chance to win.
3: Yeah, no, absolutely. And I'll just preface this all by saying, there are really good people in these Democratic town committees that essentially decide who gets on the ballot. Uh, but the party bosses have been really just uh, hindering our campaign uh, from the very start. So throughout the process, we've only received obstacles uh, and democracy has been uh, be kept by these Democratic town committee chairs. Uh, so, for instance, we've reached out to every Democratic town committee in our district. Uh, many of them never wanted to meet with us. Uh, what is more anti-democratic than silence speech. We have a a free speech problem in our state. Uh, We had a Democratic town committee endorse the incumbent without even meeting with us, without even giving us the opportunity to hear what we had to say. Uh, So you start from there where these uh, chairs are gatekeeping the members of their district and not letting us have a chance to speak uh, with the members. Uh, For the ones who did allow us to speak, we had the opportunity to convince and sway a lot of people. The people that were swayed were kept out of the convention. Uh, if they were found not to be supporters of our campaign, several were removed from the convention and were switched with other delegates. Uh, there were entire towns uh, that there were towns that uh, actually selected people outside of the Democratic Party uh, committees uh, just because they were known to be supporters of the incumbent. Uh, we had people who at the convention itself uh, wanted to vote for me and were told that they could not switch their vote after I gave my speech. Uh, the entire process was riddled with uh, unsavory tactics. Uh, I was given a few minutes to speak. I followed the rules, stayed within my a lot of time. Uh, the incumbents uh, folks took uh, nearly four times as much time as they were allowed. It was 10 minutes. Uh, so, you know, from from small things to really important things, uh, there was uh, imbalance and anti-democratic behavior. Uh, and all I'm asking for is just play by the rules. Set the rules. Uh, nobody likes it when you, when you don't abide by the rules or change the rules in the middle of the game uh, and give dem- democracy a fair shake. If the incumbent is strong, then he's going to win. If he's weak then you've only allowed democracy to flourish.
1: Yeah, that actually sounds worse than what we've had here even. And we have the same kind of shenanigans and nonsense with the state party, with our local D.C. It's all they're all just in with the incumbent. Um, And a lot of it is very fear based. They're very scared of her. I can't speak as to your district. She definitely holds things over them like support, money, whatever it is. She dangles whatever they're scared of and they just get in line. And. What's interesting is you do not hear about this happening on the right. I don't I have not heard of this happening in the in the Republican Party here. Yeah.
0: The Republican Party has one rule. Uh, you can do whatever you want. You can primary whoever you want. Um, if you're not viable, you're not viable. I mean, look, you had uh, Senate Former Senator Raul Weld, who tried to primary Trump in 2020, and that obviously failed miserably. But you know, they don't stop you from having interparty fighting. The one rule they have is that when you get to the general election, you vote against the Democrat end of discussion. They fall in line. And so, when the Democratic Party is faced with the same thing. You know, everyone talks about the fact that the Democrats have superdelegates and the Republicans don't. Well, it's even worse than that. The party bosses really go to great lengths to protect these incumbents. And that's why you see so much more rotation on the GOP side than on the Democratic side. Representative Larson is almost in his mid-70s and he's been there for a very, very long time. Mm. And he is as corporate-owned as any representative on Capitol Hill, could you please share what his what, what does Representative Larson's district look like in its current form?
3: Yeah, so a, c- a couple of points I want to hit on before I get to that. Uh, so I don't want to let the Republican Party off the hook. They have their uh, you know share of problems. Uh, they have a cult of own oh, yeah. person that has been destructive. Uh, my job isn't to criticize the Republican Party. I'm talking about my own party. Uh, M.L.K. has a very powerful quote, which says, "I criticize America because I love her. I want her to be a moral example for the world. I'm criticizing my party because I want it to be a better and stronger party. I want it to believe in democracy, uh, to live up to its name. Uh, and so that's why I'm criticizing my party, not because uh, you know I- I- I'm antagonistic. I'm just trying to make sure the party allows for debate, allows for dialogue, uh, and allows for the best ideas to win. Uh, when it comes to uh, you know what's going on in the district here, uh, like you mentioned." Uh, Mr. Larson is the longest serving member of Congress without a primary in the country. Since 1998, there's been really no democratic opposition and this is a democratic stronghold. So I don't think that's healthy for democracy. Uh, You could be, uh, you know, uh, JFK, uh, FDR, Obama, it doesn't matter. Everyone should have an alternative uh, because that's how we allow voters to have the say in who's governing us. Uh, And then also he's the fifth highest recipient of corporate PAC money out of all the house Democrats. Now, I don't know if there ever was an era where corporate money wasn't toxic or corrosive to our democracy, but where we live in now, the era we live in now, it is the most destructive force in our politics. And so uh, I'm running because I understand the power of of corporate money. And I understand that unless we take this stranglehold off our government, we're never going to be able to have uh, the basics that every other industrialized country enjoys, whether it's healthcare, whether it's a roof over your head, uh, or whether it's uh, a livable wage. And so uh, I call out these contrasts because i want to make our party stronger i want to make our country stronger and i want to make sure that the electorate is informed about what is happening in our district
1: yeah see and if i had my anti-corporate super pack i would be able to donate and do my own ho stick i could put out beautiful flyers with your beautiful headshot and you would just be supported by by an anti-corporate pack well yeah no.
3: No, I mean, yeah, uh, exactly. It's not, it's not balanced. I mean, even if we, if we could have a world where it was balanced to be better, but in my opinion, nobody should be able to write a $2,900 check, a $5,800 check, uh, make it all publicly financed. It should all be on a level playing field. Uh, that makes a whole lot more sense. Uh, no one wants to be sucking up to big donors to, to get their money. Uh, it, it should be a system where if you have the best ideas, people will publicly finance you and we'll all get the same amount of uh, a kind of a political currency as, as everyone else. And, that's a much more uh, meritorious system that will actually give us a better government and better representation. So where does this put you regarding the primary
0: in August? Is this uh, is there any setback as of right now, or is this just political posturing on the party's part? Uh, ultimately, is this going to affect your campaign in any way?
3: Yeah. So uh, there are only two routes onto the ballot in Connecticut. There is this convention process, and then there's the petitioning process. Uh, we invested time to work with delegates and show them uh, our vision and many of them like i said bought in and wanted to vote for us but were not allowed to go to the convention uh, and so it continuously became harder and harder to, to make it through the, uh, through the convention process and ultimately uh, we did not get the the percentage of the vote that we needed so now we have the petition process remaining uh, this is the hardest state to get on the ballot through the petitioning process just the number of votes required is higher than any state uh, for instance new york requires i believe about a thousand. Uh, we have about 4,000 required in 40 days. Uh, So we have the highest number of signatures needed per day. Uh, We also have some of the most stringent requirements around who can sign, who can collect, uh, you know, the standard of having every page be for a certain town. And we have a litany of towns here. uh, And you just kind of go through all the regulations and steps, and it's a completely cumbersome process. Uh, But ultimately, I never expected to be given a, uh, you know, a red carpet uh, introduction uh, to, to the party so i knew we would likely have to go through this process so we've been building out our campaign uh, to have the resources to have uh, the staff to have the volunteers to be able to pull this off uh, but i don't want to uh, uh, you know uh, underestimate how hard this is this is the hardest state to get on the ballot uh, and so this is a form of a candidate suppression it's not as though this is an easy thing to achieve and the democratic party leaders knew that uh, and this is the system that's been designed uh, and so uh, i understand what they're trying to do but I'm confident that we will get it done. Uh, people here are overwhelmingly on our side. Uh, they might yeah. not know, to be quite honest, because I don't think they've knocked on doors for quite some time. Uh, but we know that because I was literally just talking to voters for probably six or seven hours today, uh, knocking on their doors. Uh, overwhelmingly, people are supportive of two main things, getting corporate money out of politics and new blood. That is what the electorate wants uh, beside anything else. They are sick and tired of the same old leadership, uh, whether it's a Mr. Larson or Uh, Just the fact that most of Congress has been there for decades now. And so uh, I think we'll get the job done and uh, we'll continue moving forward to the primary date uh, and we'll have a, uh, you know, continue this dialogue and debate of ideas.
1: When, when is the deadline for when you have to be qualified?
3: So we have until June 7th, uh, I believe. So a little less than 30 days now. uh, And so it's definitely crunch time. so if any of your uh, followers or viewers are in Connecticut, you have to be a registered Democrat to support us. Uh, to collect these signatures. So uh, that's the only requirement in that uh, if you meet that requirement, definitely reach out. Uh, I believe that you probably put up the social media handles of check out our social media. You can DM us to help out. Uh, we're taking volunteers uh, anytime we're out there from uh, really from 10 a.m. to 8 p.m. We're knocking on doors. We have volunteers out there. And so uh, if anyone wants to help out, we would appreciate your support. If you want to stop by and give us a signature, uh, just DM us again and uh, we'll get this done.
0: Yeah, don't be discouraged. Uh, that's what I try to tell people all the time. Um, the it's truth hard. is uh, it is hard. Um, it's made this way uh, because the system is corrupted and rigged and they they don't have any merit to stand on. Unfortunately, Representative Larson is very similar to our Representative Wasserman Schultz and a lot of others that are out there that are basically, you know, they've had a very uh, lucrative career for a very long time. They've had it for decades, but over the last five, six years, you know, the dialogue has changed and they know that they're a hill of crap. They can't sell anymore. And so now they just go to suppressive tactics in order to make it so.
1: Can I just say one quickly? It's not supposed to be a lucrative career. That's the whole point. It should not even be a lucrative career. That like, the, the, like you say it like matter of fact, because it is, but that's the whole problem.
0: <laughs> yeah. It's definitely a huge part of the problem that we face today and we need a more cohesive uh movement when it comes to non-corporate uh populist politics uh we are not a movement that is well oiled machine that we need to be but we need to be helping each other out and so when someone says you know i'm fed up with electoral politics well how do you think the people in connecticut's first congressional district feel uh they don't even know another option they don't even know that it exists because again the Democratic Party has a complete stranglehold over the entire state, so they make the rules, and the rules are not favorable to working people. So that is the signature, you know, issue that obviously we need to be fighting for. And as Jen said, Juan, I'm very familiar with, Hartford, um, you know, it does need help, and you know what you're trying to provide is an absolute good, and we'll do everything we can to help. And if for whatever reason uh, they're able to pick you off this time. Uh, I know you'll be coming back stronger than ever the next time around. Yeah. So,
3: you know, just rest assured we have your back and, you know, we really appreciate what you're doing. Thank you both. I appreciate the time to speak to your viewers. Uh, and I'm optimistic. Like I said, we will get this done and getting this done honestly will be historic in itself. Nobody has ever done this in Connecticut history has gotten on the ballot through petitioning for a congressional race here in Connecticut. Uh, so this will be the first time and nobody's ever won a primary against the incumbent in Connecticut as well. Uh, this is called the land of steady habits. Uh, so we, we are truly trying to shake up uh, kind of the epicenter of neoliberalism. Uh, Connecticut is, is known for uh, its its uh, its neoliberal uh, kind of uh, tendencies and behaviors, uh, but uh, I'm confident that people are ready for a change, and and that's ultimately what matters most. And so uh, we'll get yeah. this
0: done. You you make you and and again you make excellent points because again I'm very familiar with Connecticut. It's not just Hartford. It's it's New Haven. It's Bridgeport. They all have the same problem. The wealthiest of the wealthy people in the United States live in various suburbs between Boston, New York City, and Philadelphia. And what ends up happening along that I 95 route, if you will, uh, you see the downfall of society in so many ways because these cities are so undercared for and the corruption in politics begets that. Somebody who feels that they have to be sitting in a congressional seat for 25 years, that's a problem. It's a big problem and it's got to change. And thankfully, I think there's a lot more like-minded people today, even if it isn't happening overnight, there's a lot more people who are looking at it saying, yeah, it's it's, it's time that this changes. And, you know, obviously the fight that you're putting up is is absolutely fantastic. You are a tremendous candidate. um, And, you know, we don't say that lightly. No,
1: and I I have a question for you. When this is done and you're done like stressing out 24-7, regardless of whatever happens. Yeah. Would you be, would you possibly be interested in contributing your story of what this was like to a book that we're working on?
3: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That, that's been one of the most frustrating things is this black box of running for office. Uh, it's super hard to understand how to do it, what to do, uh, and yeah. I think progressives, maybe just really anyone, we should make this public information. There's no, no. reason for this. Uh, I want as many people to know my experience, what I had to do to get to this point, uh, what fundraising looks like, what building a team looks like. Uh, that way it's it's more accessible for all Americans for anyone who wants to run for office. So That's awesome. Okay,
1: so we will be we will be hitting you up when you're done with this.
3: Please do. Please do, Jen.
0: Mo guys, go to Herezi.com, follow, phone bank, text Forward. bank. Remember, if there is anything that if you want to talk about the importance of phone and text banking right now, phone and text bank to make sure that he gets enough ballot signatures. You can phone and text bank to let people know to get on the ballot. Just need to let uh, via email or text people will, you know, supporters of his campaign will come. We'll get the ballot signed at your house. You have multiple people living in then, the house to get multiple signatures. And I say, that way, if
1: nothing else, follow and forward because you might not have money and you might not live there. But somewhere, somehow on your social media chain, there might be. So, you know, that's not everybody can give money, but definitely give your time and attention. Damn
0: right. We will. And hope you guys will, too. Margarisi, thank you so much for coming thank on. And you. best of luck the rest of the way, brother. Thank you, John. Appreciate it.
1: Bye. Take care.
0: Right. You can imagine um, the hell he must be going through.
1: Oh, uh, that's worse than not. But you know, um, the one thing about Florida while it is expensive to get on the ballot, you have two options. You have yeah. two viable options. But um sitting here talking to him, I had this thought like, I'm going to ask a bunch of these people that have been running to write their stories. And, and, and like, maybe that's a big
0: part of the book could be, you know, just basically sharing that whole sentiment of if you really want to know just how corrupt the democratic party really is, uh, check out local and state politics but, and see how they hamstring yeah, people I'm thinking trying to run.
1: Let's talk to candidates that have run for different things. Like he would be an excellent person to write the story about what he's dealing with, just getting on the ballot. Like just that, that like that vignette of, you know, dealing with the party in that capacity. And then you have another candidate that can talk to you about, uh, that could write about what they went through in terms of endorsements or what, you know what I mean? So like it might sure. be, yeah, I'm sort of, you know, and I was writing a lot for today. I was writing you know I'm really wanting to do this because I think that people should know what's going on yeah. there are a lot of people that I know like a lot of what you what I guess Lance would call normie dems um that mean well that they live they wouldn't want the, the system to be this filthy corrupt if they like people really don't realize what it's like to get on a ballot and how hard it is to be a candidate when there's an incumbent in the Democratic Party it's yeah. it's really it's it's like sisyphus people it's It's absurd. And it shouldn't be that way. Like, that's a problem within the party. And just that is something that is so undemocratic and that really could be done differently. You know, we're not talking about national policy. We're talking about just local DNCs um, or DECs and the state parties actually allowing challenges. And I think the more we call that out, by the way, they lose numbers on the daily basis, but the more we call them out on this, I do think we can change the party enough um, to where you can have at least a challenge. But the
0: thing that's so frustrating is that you see so many people, and again, there are so many privileged liberals within the Democratic Party ranks that have a huge voice. So ultimately what ends up happening is Their attitude is not that we should be working towards what's in the best interest of the voter. It's no voters, shut up and just listen to our leaders because they know what's best for us. And they will convince us that, you know, we're we're, it could always be worse. Like that's their attitude. Uh, And again, I. I can tell that one is very. uh, Like. He, he I, I could just tell like this is like really affected him. And, oh,
1: and, yeah, know, as well it should. Yeah. But and I would also like to point out about him that he is not an outsider. No. He was he worked. He was a Senate staffer. Yeah, he was Um, for an insider, which is an why, insider, he, which for is an why Democrat, which
0: is why he's dangerous. That's the point. Yeah, he is dangerous. Um, So he's
1: not some, you know, freak out of left field that's just coming all in there. He was part of their infrastructure to some extent. I mean, if he was a staffer for who, which senator did he staff for? Do you remember? Uh,
0: uh, Chris Murphy. Okay.
1: so it's like this is not somebody coming from the outside. And even if it were, I just the party needs to accept challenges. It's, it, it does, if, if it has any chance of survival, because more and more people are leaving. It's very frustrating. It's I can't even begin to explain how hard it is to, to run against the sitting Democratic incumbent. It's like running into a brick wall.
0: Uh, you're in his district and zero name recognition, and you're saying that Larson is based. Hmm. Well, listen, Roller Dragon we we'll have to rip, agree to disagree yeah, You're doing a really good troll job today, my friend I will tell you that um,
1: Let me tell you something With the exception really of baby Bernie Nobody's been sitting Nobody that has been sitting in Congress that long is based
0: They're just not No, not when you're that corporate boy, but no, you know, again, You're just not based why, why would you want the democratic Nobody process? that age, quite honestly, should why be based would, Why would anybody want the democratic process? You know?
1: Well, really I mean, but when you communicate to voters and they find out they don't like that, you know, they just don't realize it's happening. And that's part of the suppression. Yeah, but
0: there's also the problem that you run into with the voters who are, say, uh, you know, you have somebody like, you know, Debbie, for example. And you approach some of those, uh, you know, older ladies in particular who are like, oh, no, that's Debbie C. You're not supposed to do that. And it's like, who 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 yeah. died and made this, a you know, a, you know, a. Or, you know, what do you. What I call it
1: a monarchy. I just, yeah, a monarchy. They think it's a monarchy. And the, and the crazy part, and we've talked about this down here in politics, people that sit in their seats for forever, they actually feel entitled to choose the next person to, to follow them. They actually feel like it is their job to bequeath their seat to whom they choose. Mac,
0: whether or not you agree with Andrew Yang and a lot of people don't. The one thing you can absolutely say that he is doing correctly, if anyone wants a third party movement to really grow in the United States, you need ranked choice voting and open primaries. And any of the states that are fighting for that right now, that's the policy you need to get behind. So for any of the states, for example, if you really want to push for a third party uprising in the United States, look at Maine, look at Alaska. Uh, You need to get ranked choice voting in your state. Yeah. Uh, And and even if you have jungle primaries like they have in Louisiana and California and I believe Washington and Washington state. uh, That to me is really that's where it begins. You know, we've had conversations with many people who talk about the fact that when you have a first past the post blockade, if you will. You know, that to me really says everything. Because you cannot win with no infrastructure. At least when you have the opportunity to Yeah, well, you're definitely trolling now, (laughs) Roller. We we just
1: we just like to work with people that use reason and good judgment. And it doesn't have to be we agree with them and everything. But oh scat, thank you. From you know, I, I appreciate that.
0: Yeah. Yeah, we uh, we appreciate our trolls. We appreciate everybody who comes. I agree,
1: Paul. It's like, you know, we are working within the confines of electoral politics. And if somebody is going to even just be great on one issue more than the other person, let's go with that. You know, like, like, let's work with what we have to some extent. And that's that's the problem is it's everything is all or nothing on the left.
0: Well, yeah, and we really don't have a lot, but. You know what we're working with, based on these relationships, I think are very important. Yeah, I would hope that anybody who cares about these things would have one on their podcast and say, "Hey, the Democratic the the Democratic Party of Connecticut literally is a fascist party.
1: They are. That's being fascist. fascist.
0: There is no option. We will give you an option, and
1: you'll like Like it, it, and that's it. So." That's a big problem. Oh, yeah. I'm definitely going to have to have him write his story about what went on within his his state and local party, because that's really bad. That's really bad. And then so they have to collect 4000 signatures in 40 days. Yeah.
0: That's insane. Yeah, they're not going to do it. Uh, Chris agreed. Andrew is cringe at times. But you know what? Andrew at least has some good ideas and he's at least trying something because there's a lot of people not trying anything.
1: He's just a regular guy, yeah. and sometimes just says the wrong thing. But the reality about him is, is he is somebody that would surround himself with extremely smart people. And what I really like about Andrew is he doesn't have the need to be the smartest person in the room, nope. and he uses good judgment. And he doesn't have ego. No, that's another thing. That I and mean. that's and that's the thing. So he's somebody that would be so like he'd be good because he would surround himself with really smart people, and he uses good judgment. Yeah. And really, that's what I'm looking for in somebody who's in a leadership position. The
0: biggest issue that I have with Andrew is the fact that he's comfortable as a, as stands today with corporate special interest money in politics. Now, it may be because he sees his cause being fought for, um, you know. God, I'm, I, I'm, I'm trying to have a thought here, Jen. Don't distract me. Uh, you know, Andrew uh, made a lot of mistakes. And he unfortunately, when he ran for mayor in particular, employed a very lucrative uh, consulting firm. You know, Lord knows how much money was probably wasted on that.
1: Exactly. That's exactly my point. Yeah. He's not entrenched, so you might not. He's like any person. You'll agree with him some stuff. You won't agree with him some stuff. But he's not dictatorial. He's not authoritarian. He's not on a mission to come And I am people. telling. And I am just telling wanting you, to help.
0: And I'm telling you guys right now, I don't know this on authority. You know, we're friendly with Andrew, but we didn't really get to the nitty gritty on this. I guarantee you that it would not be shocking in the least if Andrew really did want to have a cabinet position in Biden's administration, especially on the economics front, and they didn't offer it to him. Mm -hmm. And that's why he decided to run for mayor. He really did want to have an influence within that administration. You know, listen, we have a lot of disagreements with Senator Warren, but I am sure that that was a huge uh, impetus on her part, was to make sure that she had an influence on the economic side as well. But we have all seen what a pretty colossal disaster the Biden administration <laughs> really has been. And as a result of that, you're now seeing uh, just sort of everything all fall apart. Um, Paul, very interesting point. Uh, one of Andrew's closest confidants, as you may know, is Scott Stanton's. And he wrote a very interesting op-ed about how both MMT principles, such as guaranteed uh Uh, a a jobs guarantee guarantee. along with a universal basic income could actually work. So, even having that conversation is Important.
1: Yeah, isn't it? Can't we just talk about It? Can't we yeah. just bring a bunch of really Smart people in a room and let Them really come to an agreement as to the best Way to help the most people? Why is This so complicated? Chris, I don't
0: I, Chris, I, I agree and I disagree I think that there were definite things that uh, Andrew did yeah. wrong. His uh, his Complete gaffe regarding uh, Israel-Palestine Really hurt him with progressives it because did. They just went completely ham Listen, they own it and I, we've said it Many times the 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 overwoke left New Yorkers that decided that it was a better idea to rank Eric Adams instead of Andrew Yang. They could own that 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 mayoral seat now. Uh, But ultimately, he did make mistakes. Uh, You're right. Uh, Matt, we do not think that's not in any way, shape or form what we think Tulsi is going to do. Mm-hmm. I think all of her moves are indicative of somebody who's angling to be more more than likely uh, Ron DeSantis's VP. She's, she's just too
1: all over the place. Yeah. Like She's just been too all over the place that I just it's hard to respect. It's hard to respect someone that's just – I mean, we're having that with one of the people running for governor here. You know, it's like he's been a Democrat. He's been a Republican. He's been everything. By the it's, way, that, you get that, no thing, credibility.
0: that field just got a hell of a lot thinner Annette it today. was dropping out of the gubernatorial race, which is not unexpected, and now she is running – for the U.S. Congress seat 27 against Maria Elvira Salazar. But, of course, she has a... And
1: that Tadeo got in that race as yeah. well. Mm-hmm. Isn't isn't Ken Russell in that too? Ken is
0: in that race, as is Angel Montalvo. So uh, a lot of people are now chasing this congressional seat. Um, I got to tell you, it's it's, it's, gross. Yeah, it's not... It's I I, it, I I don't see Maria losing her seat.
1: And not only that, but let me just shout out to Angel Mantaba, who is a friend. He's a personal friend. He's um, a candidate friend. And he is someone that I, I feared this would happen to. But he has been in that district on the ground organizing for the benefit. He is a working person for working people. And he is, he. is this is somebody who walks the walk. And now I look at what they're going to do and they're going to like swallow him up. But just be aware that there actually is a true, I hate to use the term progressive, a true non-corporate, really cares about people person Um, In that race And it's Angel Montavo, And just be aware of that
0: Gotta get him on the city council first uh,
1: uh, Maxwell, uh, and if you want to say that Andrew is neoliberal All Because right. he's
0: corporate friendly, that's fine But you know what, at least he's got some He's got some good arrows in his quiver He's not completely devoid no. of being somebody and,
1: and he's not, when you say neoliberal Yeah, I think, you know, it. depending on his upbringing and stuff And stances on policies and that But he's not authoritarian He's not like somebody like Hillary Clinton Who would come in my way or the highway He's not somebody that would dictate what we should be doing, as much as suggesting. Now, I
0: completely agree with you, Chris. That the biggest issue with Yang's campaign—word—he got in bed with. I don't remember. I'm, I'm, I, I'm not remembering the name of the organization. Another but, cautionary tale. Yeah, that is it. He spent untold sums of money, potentially in the hundreds of thousands of dollars, over the course of only a few months. Wow. On.
1: You, some I mean, like,
0: you t- know that. Yeah, yeah. Um some type of an organization, which mind you, uh we were trying to get Andrew on the podcast repeatedly over the course of the race. And he, def- he 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 wanted to come on, but he ultimately deferred to them and they black they basically blackballed us. So that's his mistake. And if he runs again, he should know that he's gotta have more faith in the fact that he's got good ideas. He is very Andrew is very charismatic.
1: And by the way. Um, let us not forget the power of the Yang gang, because, yeah. you know, it's like and this is what we talk about with what Andrew Gillum did and that you when you step away from your original crew that sort of backed you and had your end was like really propping you up and you step away and take the advice from someone who isn't part of that you're basically contradicting the premise of your own campaign. The concept is to be outside the box. So why would you take advice and have consultants from inside the box? It doesn't make sense. But what happens is, and I see this, there's this sort of thought that because the establishment is the establishment, that they must have good ideas. Well, no, that's not what that means. Those are completely unrelated things. And what's happening is in some cases, they're actually sabotaging Um, actual populist campaigns, if not just completely mismanaging. And they do it because, one, the 90s called and wants their politics back. And it's just, that's where Andrew went wrong. I mean, if you're going to take your out-of-the-box concept and put it in the hands of someone who is working so within the box, it's not going to, it defeats the purpose. But we think that they must know better. They don't.
0: I think Yang is, uh, Matt, I would say that Yang is very good in small crowds. He's not, he's not somebody who, is gonna? He's he's not a Nina Turner on in, in front of like a thousand, two thousand people. That's not his. That's not his jam. Um, but I think he definitely has a place in what we're trying to do. And everyone should acknowledge the fact yeah. that of all the people that are making the push for a third party movement right now, he's the only one talking about that we need to build a third party infrastructure. Local. That's too. what you need. You need ranked choice voting and uh, open primaries. And as you have said many times before, and it's true, and enough history has come and gone where people have recognized that the Green Party is too niche, it is way too outdated, it doesn't have any juice. People realize that they have made countless mistakes. And for anyone who wants to say, "Well, that's going to happen anyway because they're not part of the," you know, they're not part of the system. They're not part of the two-party duopoly. Yeah, we get that, but it's never been a party who is actively pushed when they had their best run. With Ralph Nader and candidates of that of that magnitude where they could have been pushing for ranked choice voting and open primaries, they never did. And if that's not bad enough, the nail in the coffin for me regarding the Green Party was when they had an opportunity to get Jesse the body Ventura on their ballot as the president in 2020 and instead went with Howie Hawkins.
1: Yeah. I, and when I say niche, I I agree with their platform, like their platform is like I have no problem with any of their platform, but their their branding is more what I'm talking about. Like, I just think it's to even the name, the Green Party, it's just like to somebody who's, you know, in a independent red place. That might be just a bunch of long haired hippies. I don't know. Like, I'm just saying it just it's not marketed well. Um, And I'm going to answer you because I saw that. Uh, No, I'm not against BDS. Um, I don't participate. I don't do that. Like I don't. Purposefully... You do you. Whatever you want to. Support. Yeah, but I don't. I have no problem with the BDS movement. I support it as a nonviolent movement. My my concern with me not participating in terms of purposefully not buying things or sanctioning, not that I have any power, but I always am concerned that it who it's affecting. But as far as um, anybody who supports it being silenced or teachers having to say that they don't support that, I'm vehemently opposed to all of that. I think you should be able to BDS your little heart's content if that's what you want to do. So I absolutely agree there with you go. what
0: the Alaska Green Party did. I think that that is absolutely what you should do. But unfortunately, there is, um, you know, it's a rudderless shit in many ways. And so that's what we're trying to solve here.
1: That's why we have these conversations. Jesse Ventura is my big get, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. anybody has any connection to Jesse I'd love it. I, I want, I'd love no that sounds more like Arnold no but I I love Jesse Ventura I liked him when I was a kid like younger and I and my dad and I would go to like the wrestling stuff like he was great
0: let's put it this way if Jesse Ventura was the candidate of the Green Party in the absolutely chaotic, 2020 presidential election season. Oh, he had 5% of the vote written over. I think
1: so, too. And and the thing about him is, is he's so been so successful as an independent. And by the way, uh, I'll shout out his book. He he's, he's written lots of books. But the one that I like the most is Democrips and Republicans. And it I really read that. it's great. And it really talks about how that these two parties are gangs. They're like gangs. And, and and it's really demented. But anyway, I love Jesse. So I'd love to have him on the show. Yeah. Uh, but the Greens are just it's too niche and they don't market well. And they're just not it doesn't reach enough people.
0: Shout out to Corey Springer up in Minnesota. And yes, Jesse Ventura was an independent governor.
1: OK, so I got a message the other day from a law school, like an old law school friend that I haven't spoken to on LinkedIn. So on LinkedIn, I got a message. Um, and he is actually there's a new district in Minnesota, which is your congressional district one, Minnesota. And he his name is James Rainwater. So shout out to James. And he is running in a very big field in the Democratic Party, but it's a plus R. So but I'm just I'm just giving a shout out to him. But if you're in Minnesota, one check out James Rainwater. Yeah. There you go. That's my plug.
0: So we appreciate you guys. Uh, what do we have coming we do up? do not have anything planned for Monday as of yet, but... I'm leaving town right? this weekend. Oh, yeah. I'm right. going
1: to see the piano man at the garden on my birthday.
0: So you're going to be in... So you're going to be uh, coming on remotely. Is, is, that, is that what you're
1: saying? Uh, no. You'll be uh, back by Monday? Yeah, oh, I'm, I'm coming back Sunday. Oh, I don't know. My birthday Saturday, and I'm meeting my son in the city... Uh, for my birthday and to we're going to see Billy Joel at the Garden. Now, I've seen Billy Joel numerous times. I mean, numerous times, but never there. And I've heard that it's a certain kind of special to see him there. So I'm, I'm excited about that.
0: Speaking of, and the last thing before we go, guys, speaking of BDS, uh, you can stop with the whole BDS thing at this point because I will tell you right now that with what just happened with that assassination of oh, uh, the journalist, journalist, that was without question the Israeli military who Assassinated that journalist
1: wearing a journalist press vest.
0: This journalist evidently is um, was somebody who was covering the crimes of the Israeli army against the Palestinians.
1: Well, right, she's actually was the first, I believe, female reporter on the ground for Al Jazeera in that area. <laughs> and this is someone who's been reporting for Al Jazeera has been pressed since I believe they said like ninety eight.
0: They're not going to be able to talk their way out of this one, and the talks for BDS are going to get very, very
1: like she's now. she she was my age and had been reporting for Al Jazeera since she was 25 years old. Yeah. And and this is like, you know, and I, uh, yeah, we could talk, you know, watch, I, again- watch, watch what you say. No, no, no. I've, I will always say what I mean about yeah. BDS. I don't have a problem with it. I personally don't boycott, divest, or sanction. Um, if somebody else wants
0: to, that's their business. I
1: don't right, and I certainly support their right to talk about it. I support that. But um, and and if you were to get, tell me specifically, okay, we are sanctioning these specific businesses in the West Bank. That are on occupied land and these specific businesses, then I, I wouldn't even have a problem with that necessarily. I just I'm concerned as to who's being sanctioned and what working class. It's people, always working people. Well, care. I right, and so what working class people um, are being affected. So that's sort of my concern with it. But so I am I have no problem with you BDSing.
0: With that said, we appreciate you guys. Or
1: what's the other thing? BDSM go BDSMing. I'm, I'm in favor of whatever consenting adults want to do with, mm. with their own selves. And that includes how they spend their dollars. So, you know.
0: Oh, Lord. Well, <laughs> we sympathize with you, Corey. Guys, we really appreciate all of your support. And of course, uh, make sure you hit the like button, subscribe, make sure you comment once this is off the air. And if you could become a patron, we would really appreciate it. Patreon.com forward slash generational change. That's the banner right over Wait, here. Wait, seven
1: is Ilhan, right? Isn't seven Ilhan? No. no.
0: Okay. No. And so with that said, we appreciate you guys. Thanks for the birthday wishes to Jen. Oh, thank you. There. I
1: don't even normally even, like, I really don't. It's not a big deal to me other than I'm getting to go see the Piano Man.
0: Yeah, there you go. Sing us a song, Piano Man.
1: <laughs> it's ne- it, And It never disappoints. I have to tell you, like, I... I've made eye contact with him twice, twice. And I will say that the last time I saw him was here on New Year's Eve a few years ago. And my family was on a cruise and I went by myself because it's really close to my house. And I got a ticket like last minute and I just went to the show. And I was kind of in sort of obstructed view, which I don't care. I've seen him so many times. Like So I'm sort of obstructed view right where he walks out. And his little staff was down there and everybody's down there. And they were getting ready to toast at midnight and having champagne. And I saw one guy go to another guy like this. And the guy went like that. And so I went like this to them. They came over to me, and I shared my weed with them. This was Billy's um, tour, his roadies and stuff. And so then they went had New Year's whatever, and they came back, and I got a staff t. They threw a staff t-shirt up at me, and so I should have
0: allowed you to come back and celebrate. Well,
1: I, I don't, you know, whatever. But so anyway, that was the, that was the best. But whenever I've seen him, I'm, I'll always yell, "Hey, Billy!" And I I've eye contact twice. Just
0: saying.
1: Uh, <laughs> my we all have our Billy brushes. Joel's we all
0: have our brushes with greatness. so- <laughs>